Church. Good evening to those watching on the stream too. Uh, trust you all have a blessed evening. Uh, let's open in prayer. Lord, thank you for this evening. Um, guide my words, guide my thoughts. May your truth prevail, Lord. Amen. Before I uh, start with the reading for tonight, um, I find it necessary to give a little disclaimer. The portion of scripture that I chose for tonight's sermon comes from the book of Hosea. You'll find it sandwiched between the books of Daniel and Joel in the Old Testament. We are going to be looking specifically at the entirety of chapter 2. I've titled it, A Faithful God to an Unfaithful People. But a brief disclaimer before we start. Hosea is a bit of a strange book. It contains language and themes that could make even the bravest Sunday school teacher blush. So if you're not familiar with the book of Hosea, no, I'm not making this up. And this is indeed in the scriptures. God tells the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute, a prostitute by the name of Goma. Together they had three children, a son named Jezreel, a daughter named No Mercy, and then another son named Not My People. Their marriage although bearing three children, was marked by much infidelity. And on numerous occasions, Goma leaves Hosea and goes back to her former, not-so-former life. From the get-go, God tells Hosea that his marriage to an unfaithful woman is a representation of God's marriage to his people, in this case, Israel. So coming up to chapter 2, the scene is set, the people have sinned, and God takes action against their sin, responding appropriately. This is against the backdrop of Gomer's unfaithfulness towards Hosea. Starting from verse 1. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her, so that she cannot, she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. 
and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time, and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast, for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Akkor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. <clears throat> and in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I'll make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I'll abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and, and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Lord, in your word it is promised that your word does not return void. May it be so even on this evening, Lord. Amen. Beneath it all, this passage is rooted in Hosea's marriage to Goma. This is more than just a made-up analogy to explain something. This is real. Even as Goma is unfaithful, so too the Israelites are unfaithful. And the pain that Hosea feels, the betrayal he feels as his wife runs off with other lovers, God says, that is my pain when my people turn away from me and pursue other gods. 
Despite its strange choice of analogy, Hosea really is at the core, a book of love. One commentator says he considers Hosea and the events of this book to be second only to the crucifixion of Jesus and how it communicates the love of God. So although the main thrust of this story is Hosea's pursuit of Gomer and how that represents God's love for the Israelites, it is not a stretch of our imagination to see ourselves in the character of Gomer and in the unfaithfulness of his people. And I believe even in how God responds to this unfaithfulness, that too is applicable to how he relates to us. These two themes, our unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness, are intertwined throughout this chapter, and they make up my main points. Firstly, the unfaithfulness of man. Consider with me verse 5. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said... I will go after my lovers who give, me bre- who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. This is premeditated. This is not falling into sin. It is an accusation against God. It is saying to God, you don't love me well enough. You are not satisfying my needs and my desires. I will go and find someone who loves me and cares for me. This starts with Goma. Undoubtedly, in her former life, there were many that gave her attention. She remembers her purse being full. She she remembers them giving her bread and water, giving her sustenance. She remembers them giving her wool and flax, clothing her. She remembers them giving her oil and drink, wine and spirits to make her merry. But she forgets her soul was empty. They were just customers. They did not love her. And none of them would have been willing to take her for a bride. The Israelites are no different. They pursue the gods of the land, literally, They choose to worship Baals over the living God. They think these foreign gods will do a better job of providing for them than God. It is not a passing pursuit of pleasure. It is not a brief lapse in faith. It is a willful act of treason towards God. And it is an attempt to usurp his throne and replace him with nothing with images carved from stone, with idols made from gold. Notice, and this is consistent throughout the whole chapter, no mention is made of sin. These foreign gods, in theory at least, can allegedly offer them many things, but redemption from sin is not one of them. And so the word of God and morality falls by the wayside because their primary need in their eyes is not salvation, but food, clothes, and pleasure. 
Verse 1 says, Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. They don't care if they are God's people or not. They don't care if they have received mercy or not. As long as their stomachs are full and their desires are satisfied, they don't care who's doing it, whether it's God or Baal. Are we any different? Is there a price on our faith? If I wrote you a blank check right now, how much money would it take to renounce your faith? Is money the answer to all our problems? What prayer can another God answer that would cause you to turn your back on God? Want to be more beautiful or handsome? Want a degree, a house, a car, a job? You want sickness and death to be taken away? Do we even care that God is the God of mercy? If all our needs were satisfied, do we care whether it is God or Baal? One of the definitions I came across for idolatry was this. Idolatry is seeking security and meaning in something or someone or someone other than God. And then a quote from John Piper. We make a God out of whatever we find most joy in. So find your joy in God and be done with all idolatry. Think. Examine yourself. Are there any idols in your life? Have I, have you, sought security and meaning in anything other than God? Is our joy found in God, or is it found in worldly pleasures? Which brings me to my second point, the faithfulness of God. Three actions are taken by God against those who are unfaithful. Three, therefore, statements are made in this chapter. You choose sin, therefore. This is how God responds. Starting with verse 6 to verse 7. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. And I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them. And she shall, she shall seek them but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. For it was better for me then than now. Therefore, I will frustrate your pursuit of sin. This is what God says. You will not roam free in the wilderness. This is not a Romans 1 handing over to evil. No, this is God, uninvited, pursuing those whom he loves. This is not an act of judgment. This is an act of love and mercy. I will hedge up your way with thorns. I will build a wall against you. I will make it so that you cannot find your paths. I will confuse you. You want to pursue sin? I will frustrate your pursuit of sin. 
You think it will satisfy you? It will not. You think these things will give you purpose and meaning and joy? They cannot, they will not. God makes sure of it. Maybe, maybe then, maybe once she seeks them and cannot find them, maybe then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. The second therefore statement we find in verse 8 to 15 reads as follows. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand, and I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them, and I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals. When she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went away after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will withhold my provision. You want to chase other gods because you think they'll provide for you better than I? Go for it. But I'll prove to you that they are just empty idols. Baal in the Old Testament, and as presented to us in this passage, was a god of fertility and a god of rain. To worship Baal and to make sacrifices to Baal was to say, this is the god that I trust to bring the rain, and this is the god I trust to make my crops grow. You want to worship this Baal? This is how the living God responds. I will withhold the rain. I created the rain. I will withhold it. I will make the land barren just to prove to you that this Baal is an empty idol. My wool and my flax, which she used to cover her nakedness, I will withhold them. This image points to God's mercies intimately covering up our sin and shame. Or nakedness. But when she chooses other gods, God will take away the wool and the flax. And maybe then, maybe then when she looks in the mirror and she sees her nakedness, maybe then she will realize these other gods are powerless. They cannot take away my sin. There is only one God who can do that. But this is the God that she's dissatisfied with. To this point, I think we can sort of wrap our heads around God's actions. God frustrating someone's paths because of their sin, that makes logical sense. God withholding his provision because of sin, 
That makes sense. It seems a bit vengeful and spiteful that we can sort of wrap our heads around it. They sinned. They deserved it. But, but, there is a third therefore statement from verse 14 to 15. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her and there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Aquil a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. This is God's intimate way of bringing about salvation. And at times, this is his way of dealing with sin in a Christian's life. And then you realize God was not being vengeful. He wasn't being spiteful. When he enclosed you with thorny hedges, that was an act of love. He was protecting you. He still held you in his hand. When he took away your idols, that which you had replaced him with in your life, it wasn't just to see you suffer. He was reminding you that he is the only one who loves you. Your idols may give you fleeting pleasures, but they do not and they cannot love you like the living God loves you. This was not some last-ditch effort by God to bring back his lost lover. No, he has been intimately involved from the beginning. God is at work, even when, and perhaps especially when, we don't see it. Long before you had heard of God, he was already plotting your salvation. Long before you fell into sin, God was already plotting how he would redeem you from it. He will woo you in the wilderness. He will pursue you. He will buy you back. And at the end of it all, you will have nothing. You will realize that salvation belongs to God, not to you. You will realize that you are but a wretched man. You will do the math you will add up all your righteous deeds and you will realize they are just dirty rags. Perhaps the first time that Hosea married Goma, perhaps she thought she was beautiful. He saw something in me. Perhaps she thought she had something to bring to the table. But by the last time Hosea buys her back, she knows. She knows this has nothing to do with her. She knows this love is beyond her and despite of her. My next point, on that day, we are left with a picture of a day that is approaching from verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, 
and I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy or no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. For Hosea, writing this, perhaps there was a time he could look to time where Gomer would finally put away her former life and live faithfully as his wife. For the Israelites, with an exile on the horizon, perhaps some of them knew they were about to be conquered. Perhaps they took this as a promise from God that he would restore their nation and once again bring peace to their land. But reading this as a Christian with hindsight, I can't help but see the hope of Christ's return. He, our husband, the church, us, his wife, on that day the sword, the bow, put aside, violence shall be no more. On that day peace will reign. On that day there will be no more idols to worship. On that day, no longer will he have to build walls and thorny hedges around us because sin will be no more. On that day, he will betroth us. He will marry us to himself forever. In righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy, in faithfulness, he will marry us. Those who were once not God's people, God shall say to them, You are my people. Those who once received no mercy, they shall receive mercy. It is his faithfulness that brings about this day. He brings about this day for those he loves, not because they are faithful, but because he is faithful. In conclusion, two brief applications before I close. The first application is this. Repent. Turn to God today. Throw away your worthless idols. Do not test God's patience. It need not come to thorny hedges. Does God really need to take everything away from you just for you to remember him? It doesn't have to come to violence. Repent now. Put God back on the throne of your heart and mind. That's where he belongs. Secondly, someone once said there are two tragedies in life. The first tragedy is not getting what you want. The second tragedy is getting what you want. God's ways are often foreign to us. 
We, we don't always see the points of God's walls and his thorny hedges. We don't always see his hand in our lack. God is not a genie, and our relationship with him was never meant to be like that. He is not our servant. He does not do our every bidding. He is God. So my second application is this. Thank God for his discipline. Thank God for not giving you over to your sin. Thank him for his thorny hedges. Thank him for withholding his provision. Thank him for salvation. Yes, Lord, we thank you for pursuing us at times in our lives when we did not want to be pursued. You loved us first while we were still sinners. You died for us while we were still sinners. Thank you for your thorny hedges, Lord. Thank you for the times where you have withheld your provision. Thank you for your discipline. May it have the desired effect in our lives, Lord. May it bring us to repentance. Forgive us for the times where we found security and meaning in anything or anyone other than you. Have mercy, Lord. Amen.